1: I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful in your landscape and to give you a new way to ask questions. This morning, Ashley says she's willing to take on the Twitter account again. If you want to ask a question via Twitter, if you have a Twitter account, go to Twitter, of course, and write your question in, but put the hashtag AskWalter at the end ask Walter at the end and that lets me know what it is, Ashley's able to find it and she'll read them out and let everybody know. So you got a couple of Ask Walter already this morning, Ashley.
2: Yeah, Jennifer was on Twitter maybe about a week ago Mm -hmm. and said, Walter, I separated and reduced my irises late last summer. Can I mulch the bed now or will it hurt the young irises?
1: I think she can mulch now. Right now she should see the iris leaves come up about three or so, four inches maybe. She just moved, and I would think that a layer of chips or pine straw or something, a couple inches thick, wouldn't hurt the irises at all, wouldn't hurt them in the least. So, yeah, right now, mulch them, protect them a little bit, keep the weeds out, of course, and uh, wait for some flowers. Of course, some of the early irises are already blooming. I've got white ones and purple ones in the backyard that are blooming right now. But there's some that come later, too.
2: Perfect. All Thank right. you. All right. all right, one more. All right, you have time? More. Yeah. Kathy said, When can I trim my tea olive? It's six feet, and I'd like to reduce it back to maybe four. Ooh,
1: tea olive. I smelled mine yesterday. This smells so good. <sighs> One of those fragrances that is hard to describe, but it's so wonderful to smell. All right, so the rule of thumb for pruning any shrub that flowers in the spring is wait till after it flowers to do your pruning. So the tea olive, it's sort of midway, if not almost all the way through its blooming period for the spring, because they'll come back and do it again in the fall. So I would say that wait a couple of weeks until you just don't see one of those little tiny white flowers behind the leaves. If she can wait just a little while to um, prune it, then I think she'll be fine. But pruning after the flower is the is the rule of thumb, so wait a, little, wait a mid to late April, I guess. All right? Got it? All right. Good. Let's go to the phones. we got uh, Andy and McDonough joining us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Andy, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. How can I help, Andy?
2: Um, I wanted to call and give you some feedback. Oh, good. I, I called a, maybe a month ago. My winter Daphne had lost all of its leaves on top. Uh-huh. There were some still on the bottom. Um, it did bloom, but kind of pathetically. <laughs> and right. we talked about what I might do, and I had been doing things like Malorganite, good. and I followed your instructions for planting a uh, Daphne Odora. Good. And... Um, it's been there for about five years. Well, you said, after I had, you know, we'd gone through everything else, you said, well, just watch and see what happens and call me back. And? It started getting leaves again.
1: Indeed. That's great. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you led me to think, oh, it lost all its leaves it's dead now. <laughs> no, no.
2: It, it totally rejuvenated, and right. it, looks,
1: it looks good. It's getting all new leaves. Fabulous, fabulous. The, yeah. You could use melorganite, you could use Holly Tone, you could use uh, cottonseed meal, there's several slow-release organic fertilizers that all just seem to agree with Daphne. It, for whatever reason, it likes to be fed with some organic source of, of nutrients. And so when you when you put those down and have a couple of rains as we've had in the last couple of weeks, then the Daphne, in your case, said, oh, oh, great, mm, smells good too. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And so sometimes,
2: sometimes waiting and doing nothing is the best answer.
1: You're absolutely right. There are callers yeah. sometimes here that want to do something when I think the best advice is just to hold off for another week or two. It's going to get better than you think it is right mm-hmm. now. But uh-huh. if they want something to do, I'll give them something to do just to make them happy, you know? But yeah, right. patience is a very um, patience is a nutrient or a pesticide that's applied in very low proportions i think sometimes and patience is a good thing a good thing to put on the
2: yes.
1: plants the lawn and everything well,
2: thank you so much walter and have a happy easter
1: wait andy i have one more thing yeah do you have yet a paper bush i do not andy i can see a paper bush in your future because Oh if you like daphne you're gonna love paper bush Where does it like to live? It likes to live right beside the Daphne. (laughs) Same environment. Uh, Same. Mine is in a place that gets moderate sun. I'd say it gets probably five hours of direct sunshine up until around noon, and then it's underneath the edge of a limbs of a cherry tree, so it doesn't get much sun after that. But it is a remarkable shrub, paperbush. Some people call it Edgeworthia because that is its scientific name.
2: Oh, yes. Yes, Yes, I've seen that. Yeah, they were
1: covered in white flowers that hung down from the tips of the branches, covered in them back in late January, mid-February, I guess. And the fragrance is one that is great when you're 15 feet away, close up to it. It's a little strong and overpowering, but from 15 feet away, 50 feet away, smell the paper bush in the spring. It really, really smells good from a distance away. And it's got something going on all the time. I keep looking at mine thinking, you are so good. You are just just performing better than I ever thought a shrub would do. The flowers and then the leaves come on, the little green leaves that sort of flop down real cute at <laughs> the ends of the branches. And in the summertime, it's a nice green, sort of coarsely textured shrub. Fall comes and the leaves all turn golden, butter yellow on the ends of the branches. It's great there. And I think just the limb structure of the plant itself is really attractive. So I think, Andy, you need a paper bush.
2: Well, I'll just have to run right out and get one. Now, you does should. it like partial shade?
1: I think just like the Daphne does. Just yeah, like the Daphne. Four or five okay. hours of direct is fine. Okay. A little shade in the heat of the afternoon, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you, Walter. Nothing to it. Fun talking to you, Andy. Call me back with another update on the paper bush or the, or the uh, Daphne, and we'll see if anything else happens to them. All right. I sure will. All right. Bye. Bye Andy See you soon 404 you in to take Andy's place Some of the things that I've been doing in the garden this week Is one, <clears throat> digging up some I know I shouldn't be doing it right now But it's the time I had to do it And I did it anyway I have a Daphne bed that's in heavy, heavy clay soil And I was digging right beside it to plant something And I thought, you know You daffodils, you just need to come up right now We're going to transplant you to a better place You'll thank me next year And so I dug up this clump of daffodil bulbs, and man, were they packed in. I mean, in a little square foot area, there must have been 50 or 100 little daffodil bulbs in there. And so I carefully took them out to the shed, I had a little potty bench there, and I separated them out. Just one after two, after three, after four, after after, five, till I had about, as I say, 100 daffodil bulbs, some of them ranging in size from half-inch high to about, an inch and a half, I guess, tall. And each one of those has the potential to give me a nice daffodil flower next year if I put it in a place that uh, is, is conducive, I guess, to daffodils. And so I found a place up in the woods that has some sunshine, a little open area that has some sunshine, and I could dig the soil there pretty easily. So I dug it up real good, loosened it, put a little sand in to make it drain better, and put my daffodil bulbs there. So next year, even though, again, I shouldn't have done it now, you should wait till after the foliage has turned yellow... But even now, I think they're going to do a lot better there. I kept the foliage on, sort of flopped over when I put them in the ground. But I think by keeping them there in a better place this uh, summer, they'll be happy in the ground. And hopefully next spring, they'll emerge. They'll have some more daffodil bulbs in the woods. And that is pretty, pretty, pretty. That's what I did this week. Even though I knew it was the wrong thing to do, the wrong time to dig daffodils. We usually wait until after the foliage is yellow. But sometimes you just gotta kind of strike while the iron is hot. That is exactly what I did. I thought, you are here, I'm here, I got a spading fork out, I'll go ahead and dig you up and put you in a new place. The other thing I did this week was to prune boxwoods and once, back a long, long time ago, I had some very strong words to say against one of my callers who had used a electric hedge trimmers on boxwoods. I said, oh, green meatballs. You don't want green meatballs. I still don't want green meatballs on boxwoods, but I found out that with my hedge trimmers, I can sort of poke the end of it in and come back out again to make the holes that I told the guy earlier you need in the, in the foliage cover of your boxwood because you want some sunshine to go into the middle to give you some light in the middle of your shrub so you get a little bit of uh, shrubbery or foliage going in the middle of the boxwood so if anything does happen you'll have foliage in the middle it'll come out and fill the hole and it'll make it look nice again so I took my hedge trimmers and I trimmed all my boxwoods are now green meatballs with holes in the side because I stuck my stuck my hedge trimmer down in the middle to take out some limbs in there so that's something you can do too well, it's the last thing of this week. I did a good bit of removal of nuisance shrubbery. I have a privet hedge in the backyard that doesn't belong to me. It belongs to my neighbor. It goes over my edge of the property there. So I cut it back to my property line and pulled up sprouts and seedlings. There are about 40 of those around the privet hedge. I pulled those out. I cut down some um, uh, what is it? choke cherry, chokeberry, I guess, was in the backyard. That's also something of my neighbor's yard, but I cut it down. So there's still lots of things to do this week, lots of things to do this spring. If you have a question, 404-872-0750. We'll be back after this.
0: This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves the lawn and garden advice you need.
3: To Nashville, Tennessee. But you wouldn't even come around to see me. And, and a
1: quick weather up update to brought care. to you by Ackerman Security. It's gonna be a very, very nice day outside today. Highs right at 70 degrees, low overnight in the 40s. Tomorrow, another day full of sun and clouds, a little bit more. High of 75 tomorrow, low in the mid-50s overnight. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Don't forget, tomorrow is Sunday. Sunday, you get your Sunday edition of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. They are really keeping a great eye on the on the computer meltdown, hackdown, lockdown, whatever you want to call it, in City Hall, which I really enjoyed reading at the AJC. Also, they've captured. Eagle Eye on the legislature, which finally finally went away this week, and I'm glad that we didn't have any more shenanigans from our various legislators uh, there. But the Sunday weekend Atlanta Constitution is something I look forward to every week, and I will get it tomorrow morning delivered straight to my door, the Sunday Atlanta Journal Constitution. At 724, Lance joins us. Hey, Lance. Good morning.
3: Good morning, Walter. Uh, I took your advice and threw up some fescue grass seed the other day. Okay. And, of course, we've had all this chilly weather and all this rain, and, yeah. of course, I haven't seen a thing come up. you reckon I should just wait another week or two before yep. I try to put any more out?
1: Remember I told the lady earlier, I said patience is what we should apply more of to our shrubs and our plants, and you need a little more patience applied to your fescue, I think, Lance.
3: Okay, I'll give her another I know the
1: before. soil temperatures are rising now, but they're up in the mid-50s, I think, if not over to 60 already. So that's a good germination temperature for fescue, but because of cool nights you know, in the 40s, the seasons just don't grow very much, so I would imagine they've started germinating just a little tiny bit, maybe a half or three-quarters of an inch long sprout, which you wouldn't notice particularly until they get up two or three inches high. So my guess is they sprouted, but they haven't gone anywhere with the, the foliage in another week or two, and they'll be green, and you'll be complaining about having to mow it. Okay. That's what'll okay. happen.
3: That's what I was afraid of. It's just been too chilly, and the ground's still too wet. Too. Yeah.
1: What kind of seed did you plant, Lance? It was fescue. Was it a brand or a blend? Or yeah, a blend of, uh,
3: the bag's out there in my utility shed, so I couldn't tell you the name <laughs> of it off the top of my head. Anyway,
1: I really like the blends, that's why I was asking, because the blended things like the Rebel Supreme blend and Atlanta blend and Penguin blend and those things, they seem to do really well in Georgia. and um I'm always curious to see if people plant the blends how they, how it turn out, how it work for you and so if you've planted the blend I'm sure you'll, you'll turn out just fine
3: I'll go check it after we hang up <laughs> All right.
1: One more thing, always sure. when you buy fescue see I was pointing this out because I did a class this past week for both the home show folks last uh, Friday and then for a garden club later in the week about Planting Perfectly was the name of my my little program, Planting Perfectly, and I did a thing about fescue and how to plant it perfectly, and one of the things I mentioned is the tag on every seed bag says when it was tested for germination, Hmm. and I pointed out that if it's more than a year that it hasn't been tested for its own germination, you don't know what happened to that seed. It could be stored in a warehouse somewhere where it was really hot, could have gotten really cold, could have just diminished the amount of germination ability it has. And so every time you buy some uh, seed, make sure it's been tested for germination within a year. Six months oh. would be even better. Hmm. So next time you buy some seed, look for the tag. It's required to be there by law. Make sure it's only been tested within the last six to twelve months.
3: This has been sitting in, the, in my utility shed for over a year. So uh... <laughs>
1: oh, now the truth comes out, Lance. <laughs> <laughs> well, it
3: was left over from about a year ago or so, hmm. and I've kept the bag sealed up tightly. Yeah.
1: Now. But you haven't kept it heated or anything that would, would keep it from freezing out there. Let's wait. I still think you should wait, Lance. Wait okay. another seven days or so. And then get down close, go to your hands and knees, and look in the areas where you're the seed, and see if you don't see some sprouts. You should, I think, see some sprouts. If not, maybe another we'll you know, over, overseeding wouldn't hurt. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks a lot, Walker. All right, Lance. Thanks for calling. It's 728 at News Talk WSB. Back after news. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful by talking a little garden therapy on a Saturday morning. The number, you've heard it, 404-872-0750. 404-872-0750. You know what? I need to get Jason or somebody to retype line 2 because I can't see who it is calling on line 2 right there. I think it's, let's see... We can't see it either. All right, let's go to Annie. is Annie. Ann, I should say. Ann on line two. Welcome to the Lawn um, Garden, Ann. Hi, good morning.
4: Good morning. Um, Walter, we have a walnut tree that's, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, a dogwood tree that's about 35 years old that some of the limbs are just straight out dead. Wow. And the bottom, now only about three limbs, so there's a lot more alive than there is dead. But there was a many years ago that was never pruned back a Y branch, tore about a foot from the bottom. Mm. That's about a third as big as the main trunk, and it has died. And if mm. if I cut those away, I don't know if am I supposed to seal the wounds with something
1: or no sealant, no tar, no nothing. Let the, okay. let the tree heal itself from inside, but no tar on the on the exterior of the tree. So so far so good. Okay,
4: when should is have a is is bloom now? Have I waited too late to,
1: to cut it back? If you need to cut it back after it's finished blooming, no reason not to. Sure, but I'm a little concerned when you say it's how many years old, Dan Uh,
4: probably thirty because we've lived here twenty, and it was
1: twenty
4: five, so it is close to thirty years. It's getting
1: close to the end of its life, my. General observation on dogwoods They last 20 to 35 years It's about their lifespan They get various stresses from being dry one summer Being too wet one summer Kids banging on it with little sticks And you know various things like that And so it seems like most dogwoods Only last about 25 to 35 years And if yours Has mulch underneath, that's good But if you've got grass or something else growing underneath That's not as good as it should be For a dogwood to live They have real shallow roots So grass under a dogwood they really fight it out there, and that could lend it to a shorter life than having nothing underneath. So, do you have grass under this one?
4: No, there's there's nothing. Uh, uh, there's nothing for about uh, a, a perimeter of about yeah. three feet Great. around right. it, just bare dirt.
1: Okay, you're good. It would be good to put mulch underneath. You know, you got a bag of pine straw, or a bag of uh, chips, either one to put underneath there on the bare spots. Um, okay. And if just you cut need it to,
4: flush. Yeah. If you need to cut, cut it flush,
1: flush cut okay. back to where another limb, a good healthy limb, originates. And if you need to cut it back, trim it like that after it's finished blooming, and that should not have any harm to it at all. You're looking. Thank to you. to, re, to remove less than twenty five percent of the foliage. If you remove less than twenty five percent of the foliage, the tree just didn't really care. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Thank you very much. A little mulch too wouldn't hurt, Anne. You know that. All right. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye, bye. Jim's with us from Johns Creek. Hey, Jim. Good morning. Welcome to Lonely Garden.
0: Good morning, Walter. Morning, Jim. Um, okay, so I'm going to keep this as short as possible. Um, I bu- I put a new deck on the back of my house. Yeah. And my neighbor, who was a good friend of mine for about 18 years, decided that he didn't want to see the monstrosity, and he went and planted bamboo on his side of the fence.
1: Oh, lord. And over the last
0: four years, I've been a nice guy, and I've been trying to uh, deal with it the best I can. he comes over, and I don't even know what the stuff is, but he puts a little dabble, do you, Mm -hmm. on each stalk. Well, the problem is, is it has become very invasive, and it has grown from his fence on his side over to my house, or to the side of my house. It has grown underneath my deck.
1: Yep.
0: It has now started to go into the front yard,
2: of oh, my man. front
0: yard. And we live in a subdivision, and I don't know. I've tried to get in touch with the covenant or the architectural design guy. Yeah. And I just can't get in touch with him. I will eventually, but I don't think there's any covenant stating the fact that you can't plant bamboo. Right. He is trying, I guess, to do the best that he can, but it has now gotten to the point that I have 86-inch to a foot and a half stalks
1: wow, all
0: all over my backyard. Oh, Jim. I don't know what to do.
1: I know this guy used to be a good friend, but there is a limit to friendship, and bamboo certainly strains the bounds of friendship pretty severely. It's possible. If it didn't cost so much to have a lawyer involved in this, it's almost my opinion that you have a lawsuit on your hands. That you could indeed sue him for diminishment of value on your house, because anybody in the right mind who would try to buy your house is going to look at the backyard and say, "What are those? All those shoots coming out at the back Jim? And you say, "Bamboo." And they say, "Well, that's you know ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars off the price of the house, because it has diminished the value of your home." Because bamboo is a bad thing to have in the backyard, just like if you had two or three school buses planted back there. That wouldn't be a good thing to sell the house.
0: Well, I'm sorry. I'm thinking that if he would have thought about it or did a little bit more research on it, he could have planted abravides or yeah, Leland yeah, Cypress or yeah. something, something that is not as invasive as bamboo. But... I, I and you know, and I really don't want to become the Hatfields and the McCoys. <laughs> but then, on the other hand, I you're right. I mean, I, I bamboo is going to diminish my property value. Sure.
1: About the only thing you can do, Jim. I mean, if it were me, and I'm thankful that it's not me, but the only thing you can do that will I think be most successful. It's to drop a barrier between your property and his property, right at the property line, dig a trench two to three feet deep. Usually a ditch witch machine is the best tool for this. You rent one and dig a ditch two feet to three feet deep and drop in a barrier. And there are barrier materials made by a couple of companies. a bamboo place over in Alabama that sells the stuff. It comes in big, thick rolls of rubber. And you drop it in there, leave a little bit sticking out over the top of the soil. And that way, no more bamboo could come in from his yard to yours because when they hit the barrier, they can't go any further. But the stuff is in your yard already, then that has to be taken down too. Sawing it down, whatever you have to do to saw it all down, and then spray, or little dab would do, I guess fits the situation. But it's what I would do is spray well, any remaining foliage with Roundup.
0: up. When he planted that, he did, I think he did it right. He did dig uh, like about a six inch ditch,
2: mm-hmm.
0: probably about a foot or two down, and then he put in this plastic, some kind of plastic mm. uh, thing that is supposed to keep it from uh, running,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and what it's done is it's gone underneath it.
1: Yeah, it's not deep enough. And
0: it's it's just, I mean, mm-hmm. if, if I was to go out and cut the grass, I cut bamboo, and mm-hmm. I don't think you're supposed to cut bamboo. Uh, that way, I mean, I don't need to keep Cutting it down with a with a lawnmower
1: Well, yeah, you can I mean, what you really want to do Eventually is starve the bamboo roots On your side of the fence First by chopping down every living piece That you find that's so big you can't mow over it And then as the years go by And the months go by, mow all the foliage That does come up, either mow it or spray it with Roundup Whatever's more convenient for you but you're trying to starve those roots on your side of the fence until finally they de- decompose and go away and they can't come to your property anymore because you sadly are gonna to have to put a better barrier than, than your neighbor did. Well,
0: I, mean, I just yeah. I don't wanna do I don't wanna do a lawsuit type thing. I don't yeah. think that that's that's something you wanna do.
1: But with you're gonna hate paying for that barrier. That barrier is not cheap. The barrier rubber stuff is not cheap. So you're going to be out some money, ring a ditch witch to run the trench to drop the barrier in. That's going to cost some money. So you're in a tough situation. I'm not a lawyer. I don't have any way to advise you of what you should do according to the law, but there's a possibility you have a diminishment of value lawsuit.
0: If if I was to do all of what you're talking about, does that, I mean, do I give him an invoice?
1: (laughs) That's up to you and your lawyer. Oh, okay.
0: All righty. Well, Alrighty. I, I was just looking for some advice. <laughs> I,
1: I don't have great advice other than starve the roots and don't let any more come on your property. Those are the two steps you have to do. But it's going to take at least two years of doing the starvation drought on the bamboo roots. It takes at least two years to make them decompose under the ground. Maybe three. So just be vigilant. Cut everything down. Don't let them have any leaves on your side of the fence. And one day, one day, all this will be done. All this will be over, Jim. Thanks for calling. at 745, and Jan has a turn. Jan's in Milledgeville and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Jan, good morning.
5: And we've inherited something that we've never raised before, and that is some beautiful, beautiful azalea plants, and mm-hmm. they're all blooming, and our yard is beautiful. Yeah. What do we do? Do we trim them when they're done, or do they not need to be trimmed? I mean, in- I don't want to have these tiny little bushes the rest of the year so I don't know because <laughs> they're, they're they're pretty but yeah. um, what do we do anything after they bloom
1: Why why do you want to prune is there some physical reason you want to prune no, them now I, I
5: I don't know that if I just didn't know if you sh- if you're supposed to do that as I say we have no background in azaleas
1: No none none needed by the azalea it'll grow to the size that its species and variety determine But there's no real reason to prune it down unless, in my case, it's blocking your front door. My azalea's in front of my front door. Oh, right now they're four and a half feet tall, and by the time they finish blooming, they'll be five feet tall, and nobody can see in my front door. So I go out after they finish blooming every year with my weed whacker or my hedge trimmers and prune them down to about three feet, and they stay that height for the rest of the year. So I have to do it because I want somebody to be able to see in my front of the house. In your case, if they're not blocking anything at the size they assume after the flowering is finished, then leave them alone. Don't do anything to them.
5: But if if we were to, if we did feel we needed to prune maybe some of them, it would be after they bloom.
1: Yeah, after they bloom. And
5: then what about uh, uh, fertilizing? Now
1: later, uh, falls just uh, the past week before it rained on. Uh, when it rained this past week? On Thursday, I guess Ooh, it was. Yeah, and yeah. so I was out on the day before with my little fertilizer spreader, spreading azalea, camellia foods. I had a little half bag of milorganite. It has some, uh, holly that I had some tone in the backyard. So I just had it all everywhere I felt, saw an azalea. They either sure. got my little spreader to spread the fertilizer on them, or a handful out of the out of the bag. So, yeah, right. after they finish blooming, that's a good time to fertilize, get some healthy and ready to meet stress for the summer. Sure.
5: And do they, that's it, do you adopt fertilize them in the fall or anything like that? Just
1: Unless you want them to be huge, just don't right. really no, need No, I don't to. need that. No, if you don't need to, once a year is fine.
5: And are yours blooming now?
1: Yeah, they look great.
5: Yeah, it's just beautiful. This is a, a real pretty area. We used to live in Atlanta, and we've moved to Milledgeville, and it's, yeah. it's very pretty here, different Reds world. Reds
1: and whites and pinks. i got all sorts of colors on my azaleas. They look great right now. Yeah, they are. They're, they're very beautiful. Yeah.
5: Okay, that was it. That helps me to know.
1: Well, thanks for calling in. See you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. It's 747. We'll be back to more Lawn and Garden right after this.
0: This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellis weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the Lawn and Garden advice you need. You make no
2: That's all and I don't care. So much.
1: And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Today, a nice day out outside. High near 70 degrees, low overnight 49 degrees. Tomorrow, more sun, clouds mixing with it, of course, but high of 75 and low in the mid 50s overnight. Full weekend forecast in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Actually, let us do the weekend prize pack and bring a little happiness into someone's life. Actually, we'll think of a number between 2 and 7, which will determine who wins a family four-pack of tickets to the Atlantic Gladiators' last home game on Saturday, April 7, at Infinite Energy Arena, and a Kroger $50 gift card to go shopping beforehand. Who wins? Caller number four. Caller number four to our contest line, which is four zero four seven four one zero seven fifty. Four zero four seven four one zero seven fifty. Four packs to so see the gladiators, and a fifty dollar Kroger gift card. At seven fifty four, Barbara joins us from Hickory Flat. Hey, Barbara. Good morning. Hello. Hey, what's up? Um, I have a
2: Carolina jasmine, uh-huh. a, a yellow jasmine, yep. maybe, um, and it's climbed up on the deck and on the bird feeder and it's full of yellow blooms. that are just absolutely gorgeous, maybe thousands of blooms. But um, the bees have been buzzing around it Mm -hmm. and um, I have read somewhere that the jasmine flowers are poisonous to bees and I don't want to kill my Pollinators. So I'm wondering, shall I get rid of the jasmine bush, or do I have false information about the bees?
1: It's not false information, but it needs a little more truth added to it to make it more useful for you as a gardener. Many, many hundreds of years ago, there was a doctor named Paracelsus, and Paracelsus had a dictum as far as poison goes. He said, the dose makes the poison meaning that you can use some things medicinally and they'll be fine for your body, help you to cure disease and things that affecting your body. But if you get more than you should, if you get a bigger dose than you should, then that can harm your body. And You know that from aspirin and many med- medicines that we take now. The dose, if you take the right dose, makes you healthy. Take more than you're supposed to, makes you not so healthy. And the yellow jessamine nectar is much the same with honeybees. If that's the only thing blooming and they all the honeybees in the neighborhood come to that one jessamine vine by your deck making so, so pretty flowers right now then if they get a big high dose of the nectar yes it could sicken the honeybees on the other hand there's lots of other things blooming outside they go into other flowers and mixing the nectar from the Jessamine with the nectar from the other flowers no harm to honeybees mhm so My guess is that you have no honeybees that are mad at you right now, (laughs) that you'll be fine, and that you could uh, leave the jessamine blooming and let the honeybees forage where they want to. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's good news. (laughs) The dose makes the poison. They're just not getting a big enough dose, it doesn't seem to me, because so many things are blooming right now. They get nectar from lots and lots of sources. If they want to get it from the jessamine, okay. But there are certainly other insects. The Butterflies visit Jessamine. There's a couple of butterflies out right now. Carpenter bees, they go to the Jessamine and don't seem to have any ill effects for them at all. So Mm -hmm. honeybees, perhaps marginally, but nothing you really worry about. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's very good news. Thank you, Walter. All right, good talking to you. Thanks for calling, Barbara. Mm -hmm. Great question. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Coming up in the next half hour, Faye from Monroe wants to ask about her Osmocote and how do you apply Osmocote properly to the soil? Francis in Snellville. Has some summer annuals she wants to plant. A little advice is needed there. Sherry and Carrollton has flowering tree that she needs and wants some advice on how to find a flowering tree. Our phone number is 404 750 Don't forget, if you don't get your question answered today, you can go to Walterreeves.com. One of the things you can get there is our podcast. Many people don't realize we record the show every Saturday and post it the next Monday or Tuesday online at the WSB website, so you can download it or listen to it whenever you have your uh, headphones on, but you can download and load it onto your podcast player or anything you want to that way. go to what my. It's hard to find the link, frankly, in the WSB website, so go to my website and just type in podcast. It'll give you the direct link right into WSB. You can also subscribe to our newsletter. It comes out every other Thursday, this coming Thursday. New edition. We'll have some questions and answers there. It might be helpful to you as a gardener, and it is, of course, completely free. It's 7.58. The News Talk WSB will be back to more Lawn and Garden After News.